Well, there is a beautiful presence of the Lord here today. It's a real delight for us to be here and to be a part of this Sunday with you. And several months ago, Pastor Paul asked if we would come and join you for a Sunday, and it worked out for this Sunday to be here, and uh, couldn't think of a better place to be today than here. Um, we, we think so much of Pastor Paul and Vanessa. We love you both. So appreciative of your leadership and of your friendship. And Pastor Paul has been a, been a good friend to me and uh, been an encouragement to me as I have seen you and your team lead and hungry and pursuing the presence of God. But as we were worshiping here, and I so appreciated the team and just leading us. You know, I've been in some powerful services where, you know, the, the band is great, everything's great, but I want to experience the presence of God. And I just really appreciate the team leading us into the presence of God. Just felt a very rich, tangible presence of the Lord here this morning. And uh, it, uh, as we were here and uh, I was just worshiping the Lord, I just felt a very, very um, rich, heavy sense of his presence in my life. And my mind was actually going back to uh, a number of years ago. Actually, I think it's probably almost five years ago now. Pastor Paul, you and I were in a, some meetings north of here in Fredericton. And me being the district superintendent, when you go to certain places, you know, you want to represent where you're from well. And you want to, uh, you want to be dignified. And you want to make sure people think well of you. Well, there was a Sunday morning service, and I became so undone and shook and shook and shook, and there was nothing dignified about it at all. And uh, there was something that God was doing in my life. And I remember that morning in my heart and all that was going over in my mind over and over and over was, I don't want to be the same. I don't want to be the same. I don't want to be the same. And it was like this skipping record, for those of you who remember what records are. <laughs> it was like this skipping record in my mind, just over and over and over. Friends, I don't want to be the same. I want what God has for me in the days ahead, and I don't want to stay where I have been. I want to move with him, and I want to see him transform my life and change my life. So my mind was going all kinds of places this morning as we were just waiting in the Lord's presence. Well, this morning, I want to talk to you for a few moments about repairing the altar. Our son, who uh, is 25 now, a few years ago, he went to Pictou County. We live in Halifax, and he went to Pictou County because he and his friend found an old 1965 Ford Mercury Comet for sale. And he wanted to go buy this old Comet, bring it home and repair it and restore it. He brought it home and unbeknownst to me, within a few weeks, it made its way into my garage. And it stayed there for several years as he continued to work on it and tear the fenders off and the floorboards off and working on the engine. And uh, it's now at my, at my dad's place, his grandfather's place in the yard where he and his cousin are still working on it, still repairing and restoring this old Ford Mercury Comet. Oh. 
How many of you know when you start to renovate or you start to repair something, you often look, you often look at it and you think, oh, it'll just take a little bit. It'll just take a little bit, and we'll have this done in no time. And as soon as you take, dig below the surface, you realize there's a whole lot more there that needs to be addressed. And often the work is much deeper and much more time-consuming than we ever would have thought. And if we'd have realized how much it would have taken, we never would have begun the journey. Some of you can relate to that. You've done the renovations. You've done the repairs. You know what I'm talking about. And I believe that God is calling us into a place of where he wants us to repair the altar. Now, some of you probably have a well-established altar, but there are those of us who may need to do some repairs on the altar, and sometimes those repairs need to go a little deeper than we think. Sometimes those repairs, they, as we work on the altar of our lives, begin to unveil things and reveal things to us that we didn't see originally. And I believe that God wants the church, to repair the altar. I'm not just talking about this altar. I'm talking about the altar of our hearts. We're walking with him. There's an Old Testament story, and we see within this story some of the characteristics that I believe that God wants to find in his people. And we find this in 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30. This is my text for today, 1 Kings 18, verse 30. It says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. May God bless his word to our lives today. The very first question that comes to my mind when I look at this passage of Scripture is why was the altar thrown down? Some versions say it was torn down or it was neglected. Why was the altar thrown down in Israel at this time? Well, if we go back to chapter 16, you'll find in verses 30 down to 35, you'll see that the king Ahab... At this time, it says that King Ahab did more evil than all the kings before him. And it even says of King Jeroboam, who was an evil king in the history of Israel, it was as if the sins of Jeroboam were a small thing compared to the sins of Ahab. The evil that was going on in this country, and one of the things that had happened is Ahab, the king, had married Jezebel from another nation, and Jezebel was a Baal worshiper. And it tells us in those verses that Ahab actually built an altar to Baal. He built a house for Baal, and then he built an altar. So Ahab was spending his time building an altar to another god, and yet tearing down the altar, or the altar for their god. The sin had become so rampant, evil had taken over to such a degree that the things that were happening in Israel were hideous. In fact, Baal worship, if you do a, some searching on Baal worship, Baal, Baal was known as 
different names. He was known as the storm god. He was known as the weather god. He was known as the god of the harvest. In other words, Baal had control over the heavens. And what the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah would do is they would sacrifice the eldest child to Baal. And they would lay this child on, on poles, and the child would roll down into a fire. And as the child rolled into the fire, the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah would have sex orgies in front of this sacrifice. This is how evil and disgusting and grotesque the sins of the nation had become in Israel. The generations before this time probably would have thought there is no way our country could ever get to this place. Does it sound familiar? There is no way we could ever get to such evil. And that's exactly where Israel was. They had reached this tipping point. It was like there had been... There had been these, these evil kings and these difficult days on throughout their history. And they came to a point, it was like a tipping point, and then with Ahab it was like this tipping point, and there was an avalanche of evil that came rushing in to the nation. Well, friends, Elijah shows up, and God says, go to the king and tell the king that there will be no rain. There's going to be a famine, there's going to be no rain for three years. And so there's no rain for three years. You can imagine what, how that would have devastated the country. And we come to chapter 18, and we learn that King Ahab had gone, and he had sent men throughout the nations, their own nation and other nations, looking for Elijah. He overturned every rock looking for Elijah, and God had protected Elijah. And then after three years, Elijah comes to the king, and Elijah shows up to the king, and we see this in chapter 18, verse 17. If you turn there to 1 Kings 18, verse 17 to 19, this is what it says. When he saw, that is Ahab, when he saw Elijah, he said, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah says, I've not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. It's interesting that when evil is running rampant, evil calls good evil and evil good. And this is what happened in Israel. Elijah, you troubler? No, Elijah's not the troubler. Elijah is the one who's declaring the truth. And those who are living for evil will always point to those who are living for the truth and holiness, they will always point to them as being the cause of the problem. So we have this happening, so similar to what we see going on. Well, let's move along here quickly. Elijah says to Ahab, I want you to call the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah and come to Mount Carmel. And so Ahab does that. He brings them all to Mount Carmel. And we come to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. And we see here 
in verse 21, when the people had all gathered, it said, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. The people said nothing. Friends, I believe that God is looking for people who will make up their minds. He's looking for people who will get off the fence. He's looking for people who will stop being double-minded and changing their opinion depending on the crowd that they are with. He's looking for people who will make up their minds, get off the fence, and be people who will make a decision to serve God no matter what the cost is. That's what God is looking for, I believe, today. He's always been looking for that. And I believe today he's looking for that within his church. He's looking for a people who will declare, we will serve God. But these people stood and they refused. They wouldn't answer. Wouldn't answer him a word. And so there's going to be a showdown. And I wonder today if there are those here that there's a showdown going on in your life. There's a showdown going on, and God is calling you, but you are unwilling to make a decision. You are unwilling to put your, your foot on the ground and say, I will serve God. You are unwilling to draw a line in the sand, and I believe God is calling us to draw a line in the sand, to cross over and never go back. God is looking for people who will make up their minds. Richard Wormbrand, who suffered terribly under the communists. When they came into his country, he was a Lutheran pastor who loved God, had an incredible conversion experience, he and his wife. And the communists had gathered all the leaders together in this embassy, and they were pontificating on how they could work together. And meanwhile... Many of the Christians knew that the communists don't work with anybody. They are God-haters, and they are atheists. They're not just don't believe in God. They hate God. Because anything to do with God and anything to do with it brings people together to strengthen them. They are against because they are all about disintegrating any kind of groups of people who find strength with one another. And they're in this embassy, and... They're pontificating these wonderful truths, and Richard Wormbrand tells this story about his, his wife's name is Sabina. And he says this, my wife and I were present at this Congress. Sabina told me, Richard, stand up and wash away this shame from the face of Christ. They are spitting in his face. I said to her, if I do so, you lose your husband. She replied, I do not wish to have a coward for a husband. God is calling men and women to decide who they will serve, regardless of the cost. We tend to add up the cost and think, well, I'll, I'll serve him if the cost is here, but if it gets up to here, I'm, I'm out. I'm checking out. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross and die. It's about surrendering all, everything, nothing held back. 
God is looking for people who will make up their mind. So friends, the people come and they gather. They won't give an answer. And so Elijah lays out the plan. Here's what we're going to do. The prophets of Baal, you are going to build an altar. And you're going to put a sacrifice on it. He says, I will build an altar and I'll put a sacrifice on it. And we'll find out whosoever God answers by fire, this is the God we will serve. And he says to the people, does this sound good to you? And they said, it sounds good to us. You see, I think people are looking for something real. They're looking for something where there's real power. It's not only about power, but friends, that people are looking for a God who will make a difference in their lives. And so they set up the altars and the prophets of Baal set up their altar. And they, it tells us that they, they began to pray and they began to cut themselves and slash themselves as was their custom, calling out for Baal to come and answer them and answer, send fire from heaven. Now remember, Baal is the God of the sky. See the connection here? This is right into the face of their God. Whose God are we going to serve? Whose God is really the God of the sky? And they slashed themselves and they cut themselves and they called out and it says that Elijah mocked them. He says, oh, your God must be away. He's gone on a trip somewhere. Guess he's on vacation. In fact, if you dig deeper, it, it even says, maybe he's in the latrine. He's using the bathroom. He can't get to you right now. That's actually what he says in there. And finally, they give up. They give up. And we come to verse 30, which we've read. I'll read it again. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So they came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. And Elijah took 12 stones, one from each of the tribes, descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed, which is about 15 liters. And so Elijah begins to repair the altar had been there, and it was in ruins, and he begins to pick up one stone, and he puts it in place. Now, no doubt he's pushing off grass that had grown up and died in the drought and cleaning dirt off this, the stones that had been neglected. Friends, when you begin to rebuild the altar in your life, there will be some things you have to begin to brush away and clean off and remove so you can actually put this altar in place. Now, something I didn't mention earlier is the altar is incredibly significant. Because without the altar, there is no worship. Without the altar, there is no relationship with God. The altar is the centerpiece. There are other aspects to the worship that Israel had, but without the altar, nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered without the altar. The most important thing in our lives, the most important thing, is our walk with God, is our time with God, is meeting with Him, because the altar is that place of consecration. The altar is that place of sacrifice. 
The altar is that place where we lay our lives down. Romans 12 talks about living sacrifices. When we lay our lives down on the altar and we, we give ourselves fully to him. The altar is about giving ourselves fully to the Lord. Laying it all down, holding nothing back. And Elijah begins to rebuild the altar, putting the stones in place. Friends, God is looking for people who will repair the altar, who will restore the altar, who will rebuild what's been torn down, who will rebuild what's been neglected. You know, when we talk about repair, some of us have uh, phones that we have paired to our car. We have Bluetooth devices, devices that we've paired to our phones or to our computers. See, when we repair, we are reconnecting. To pair something, my wife and I are a pair. We're, we're connected. Pairs go together. Repair is putting back together what has been taken apart, what's been neglected. And I believe that God wants us to repair any areas in our relationship with him that have been disconnected. He wants to be connected with us. A greater connection than a Bluetooth connection. A connection where we're hearing from him, we're walking with him, we're listening to him, we're obeying him. Because when we have the altar as the center of our lives and we are living sacrifices... That means when he calls to us and speaks to us, our answer is always, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Sometimes it's hard to say yes, Lord, isn't it? But it's to be yes, Lord. And he puts these back one stone at a time. He puts the stones back, and then we come to verse 33. This is where it gets really interesting. Verse 33, he arranged the wood and cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. And then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. We've done a fair bit of camping with our family over the years. Cape Breton is one of those places that we would often frequent and go up to the national campgrounds and we'd pitch our tent and we'd uh, set up camp. And there's one thing that you never want to do with your wood when you're getting ready to start camping and putting the fire on. You never want wet wood. So think about it for a moment. Some of us have been, who've been around for a little while, we've heard this story. So I, just, I hope you can just clear the familiarity away. Just, just, just wipe that slate clean as if you've never seen this before. Think about how absolutely ludicrous this whole stage is on Mount Carmel. 
They've set up sacrifices to compete with one another and said, whichever God sends fire out of the sky is the God we're going to serve. And then Elijah says, put water on it. Now, we don't laugh very hard because we're so familiar with it. But can you imagine the people? Because it was more than the prophets on Mount Carmel. The people of Israel came to watch this. Can you imagine what they must have been thinking? And he pours water on it. Friends, the situation was impossible, and Elijah made an impossible situation more impossible. I have to take a few moments and think, God, I don't know that I would be able to do that. Has the Lord ever spoken to you about doing something you think that's ridiculous? That's ridiculous. I think the third thing God is looking for is God is looking for people who will risk ridiculous faith. They will risk ridiculous faith. I'm not talking about foolish, foolhardy, stupid. But when God is at work, there are times when he's going to speak to us and it's going to feel ridiculous. It's going to feel like, I don't think I want to do that because fear comes into our lives because we're afraid of what people are going to think. We're, we're afraid about the outcome. We're not sure if this is going to go the way it should go. And we, we become fearful and we don't move it. But friends, I believe that God is looking for people who are willing to lay down their pride, lay down their, their dignity, and say, God, if this is what you're saying and this is what you want, I'm in. Yes. Yes. I go for it, yes. Because as we begin, to, as we follow the Lord, there will be times when he asks us to do things that don't make sense to us. This is why we love to read this book. Because it's full of stories where God asks his people to do things that don't make sense. Moses, raise your rod over the Red Sea. Really, God? How stupid is that going to look to these people I'm trying to get out of Egypt? On and on the stories go. Against the odds. I believe that one of the reasons that God wanted Elijah to put water on the altar was so that Elijah could never be accused of sleight of hand. This was not man's doing. And God wants to put us in places where people will see this is not God's doing. This is not what, or, or sorry, this is not man's doing. This is not what man is doing or women are doing. This is what God is doing. It is beyond us. I remember, I remember, uh, one day, we were driving to a service, and I was going to be speaking, and Amory was driving, and I was just taking time to go through my notes and just to, to pray, be prayerful about the service that was coming up. I'm on my way to the service, and I get this crazy thought in my head. Meat grinder. Meat grinder. Meat grinder. A picture right in my mind. Meat grinder. A meat grinder. One of those old-fashioned meat grinders my mom used to use. Thinking, 
no, Lord, this can't be a word of knowledge because this makes no sense to me at all. And so I'm speaking, and it comes back to me, meat grinder. I don't know about you, but the, even the thought of saying to, some, to a congregation, I think the Lord's given me a word of knowledge, and it's meat grinder. <laughs> you look pretty stupid, right? The man who's supposed to be walking with God and hearing the Lord. So, before I began speaking, see, I should have left it till the end. You know, at the very end of the service, you know, when it could be easy to get out the side door. And, and so, but before I began to speak, I just said, I, I don't know if this means anybody, but I just feel like there's this picture and an image in my mind. I don't know what it means, but maybe it'll mean something to someone here. I like it when words of knowledge are much more, act, much more specific, you know. And uh, so I said, the word is meat grinder. Does that mean anything to anybody? Well, guess what? No one put up their hand. <laughs> so that just sucked faith right out of the room. So I went on and I shared my message. And then at the end of the service, we had some people who had responded for prayer. At the end of the service, a woman came forward. And she said, Kevin? She said, that was for me. I'm thinking, I, I didn't say this, but I'm thinking, why couldn't you have said that earlier? <laughs> she said, that was for me. She said, my dad's dying. And as soon as you said meat grinder, it had to do with his vocation and everything. As soon as, the, it was like God was saying to her, I've given you something that nobody else would have even dreamed of, a word for you that would have touched your soul so that you knew that God hears your prayer. But ridiculous in my mind. But God touched her, ministered to her, gave her peace about this whole situation as her dad was dying. So God's going to ask us to do some ridiculous things. He's going to ask us to step out and do the kinds of things that don't always fit into our well-laid-out plans. And this is why it is so important that we have drawn a line in the sand and we have made a decision that we're going to follow God no matter what. And we have built an altar. We've repaired the altar in our lives. So we're walking with him because he wants to use us in phenomenal ways. He wants to work in our lives in supernatural ways. And friends, I believe that we have made a decision and we have repaired the altar and we're willing to say, yes, Lord, if you're saying that I need to pour water on the wood, I'll pour water on the wood and still trust you and still believe you. And then, friends, He's calling us to pray until the fire comes. Pray until the rain comes. You see, Elijah, he said, God, you see these people? Will you send the fire? And the fire came and it consumed everything. And then the people said, we will serve God. And then Elijah, he got on his knees and he began to pray for rain. And seven times he sent his servant, go, Look, is there rain coming? And seven times, six times he came back and said, there's nothing. And Elijah continued to pray. And then the man, he, said, he sent him one more time to the seventh time, and he goes to the hill, and he looks out, and he says, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand. And that's all Elijah needed. And he said, there's rain coming. 
There's rain coming. There's rain coming. Friends, there is rain coming. He wants a people who are willing to say, God, we will serve you. We will follow you. See, Elijah had made up his mind a long time ago. He was going to serve God no matter what came his way. And that's one of the reasons why God was able to use him the way he used him. And he repaired the altar. And he was willing to take a stand. And he was willing to look foolish. And he was willing to pray until the fire fell. And he was willing to pray until the rain came. He was unwilling to stop because he knew God was up to something. Friends, I believe that God is up to something. I believe that God is up to something. And he's calling his people to say, God, here we are. Here we are. We don't care what it looks like to anybody else, but here we are. We are going to serve you. We are going to lay it all down for you. We are going to give it all for you. Because we're going to follow after you. Richard Wormbrand, I'll end with this. He said, there was once a fiddler who played so beautifully that everybody danced. A deaf man who could not hear the music considered them all insane. Hmm. Those who were with Jesus in suffering hear this music to which other men are deaf. They dance and do not care if they are considered insane. Friends, Let's dance for the Lord. Let's serve him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if others look at us and think you're insane, that's only because they can't hear the music that we hear. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Today there's a showdown, I think, going on for the lives of men and women all over our nation. There's a showdown going on for the lives of men and women in this city. And I think there's probably a showdown going on for the lives of some men and women in this room today. Jesus is calling you. He's calling you. Are you willing to decide to stop playing games? Some of you are... I just, just sense the Lord, he's, he's doing something in some people's hearts, and he's saying to you, stop playing the games. Stop playing the games. Make up your mind. Decide who you will serve. There are some here who need to repair the altar been neglected. There's areas that you, you, you see what God is even doing here. But friends, he wants you to be right in the heart of what he's doing, but you've got to repair the altar. You've got to be willing to lay your life on it and say, Lord, here I am, all of me. He wants to use you. So Lord, I pray right now that you would move by your spirit, that you would come and you would work Lord, that you would draw hearts right now. Thanks for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to get the sermon as soon as it's released. If you have any questions or want to get connected, go to gtmoncton.com. 
For live streams and other videos, check out the GT Moncton YouTube channel and follow us on social media at GT Moncton to stay up to date on what's going on. God bless.